take your Bibles tonight and turn to Acts chapter 4. You can follow along with me on the screen tonight. Some time ago, I um, spoke on the subject of spiritual enthusiasm, and we talked about the word enthusiasm. And, and the word enthusiasm means in the Greek, en, E-N-N, theos, in God. That's the derivative of it. And that message, which was such a long time ago that some of you would have never heard it, we talked about how life changes and how you're different when you live in Christ and when Christ lives in you and the mark of joy that should mark all of our lives. A depressed Christian is a possibility from time to time, but to live as a depressed Christian is actually a, an oxymoron. And I recommended a book to you at that time. Uh, you can still get it. It was by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression. Powerful book, great book. We also talked about how that a Christian who lives in Christ and Christ lives in him, that believer, along with many other things that I said, becomes a candidate for God using in a supernatural way, in a supernatural form. And lately I have talked to you and I've used the illustration multiple times. Why do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why do we need to live that way, continually filled with the Holy Spirit? And I, I used the, the bucket on our well growing up on the farm. It's because we all leak. We, there's things that happen in our lives where we leak. We're confronted with things that we just can't help but be confronted with. We, we're confronted with issues. We're confronted with immorality. We're confronted. This week, I've had to deal with two suicides, and, and that just, you know, you plan out your week. On Sunday, I sat down like my normal custom is, and planned out my week, got everything squared away, what I was going to do. Well, my whole week has been shot because of pastoral care issues and which, you know, I, you never mind. But the confidence that you have, and this is not cockiness, but the confidence that you have is what I just shared with you. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And when you live prepared, then you're able to meet these challenges and you're able to meet these circumstances without panic and without fear. Well, we're going to look at a story tonight and we're going to talk about fresh surges of the Holy Spirit and why we need those fresh surges of the Holy Spirit. And I think it was in 1994, I could be incorrect on the year, but in the summer of 1994, Georgia had a massive flood. It just, a front settled in, a tropical depression settled in over us in middle Georgia, and it just wouldn't stop raining for, for several weeks. It was just constant rain. Well, our National Youth Secretary was with me speaking at a camp that I had, and I went down to check on the, the um, dam one night because I was concerned. We had two creeks that flowed into that dam, I mean, flowed into that lake that we had, and I was very concerned about this earthen dam holding with all the rain that we'd been having because water had risen so high and the overflow drain was constantly running. 
And while I was there, there was a surge, and you could feel the earth move, and the dam split right into under the force of the water, and just literally took out the dam. And, and I was able to get back off the dam onto the road, and I watched that water surge through. And at the bottom of that dam was a beautiful stream. We had bucking barrels over those streams that our kids could ride on, and they loved it because it was very sandy and fall into the water whenever they got bucked off. And our ball field, things were flowing. Flooded trees were taken down because of this surge of water. Well, there are times when the Holy Spirit, if we use that analogy, if you'll let me take that analogy, there are times when we need those surges of the Holy Spirit. A Sunday morning, as I talked to the men in the church, we talked about how men are responsible for clearing the obstacles out of the way for their children. We talked about the fact that, that there's a, we have this, this battle to fight sometime for our families that, as men. And so the message tonight is not for men, it's for everybody. But we need those surges of the Holy Spirit that enable us to accomplish and to achieve what the will of God was. Because the passage I'm going to read to you is so long, I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I will ask you to stand when I pray tonight. So let's start with John chapter 4 and verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, now there, if you remember in Acts chapter 3, a lame man had been healed. He had been lame from birth and a tremendous miracle. All Jerusalem knew about it. While Peter and John were preaching after the miracle to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed. Actually, the word is angry. They were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them since it was already evening, put them in jail until the morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. How many of you know that sometimes when God does something good, that doesn't make everybody happy? How many of you know that when a miracle happens, that doesn't always make everybody in your family happy? There are times where there will be these surges of the Holy Spirit, and we have to be prepared, as the firefighters say, there can be blowback from that. And these men were not very happy at all with what Jesus was doing. Well, the next day, the council of all the rulers and the elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem, and Annas, the, Ananias, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas and John Alexander and the other relatives of the high priest. And they brought in these two disciples and demanded, by what power and whose name have you done this? I mean, they're not happy at all about the miracle. I mean, they've, they've seethed over it overnight. They've, they've connived overnight. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do with this. Then Peter filled. Now remember, he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He, is, he has been transformed. He's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Something powerful has happened to Peter. He is not the same man that he used to be. But now Peter gets this fresh surge of the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me state clearly to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucify, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected now has become the cornerstone. There is no salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
Well, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. This surge of the Holy Spirit had brought some real boldness into them, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. How many of you know that when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you don't necessarily have to have a lot of special training? If you've been with Christ and if you're full of the Holy Spirit, God will use you. When you are spirit-filled, you're a candidate for God to do a miracle through. They also recognize him as men who had been with Jesus. And isn't that a wonderful testimony? I just got done meeting with someone, and I said, if there's anything I want in my life, I want people to know that I've been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them. I mean, there's the miracle. The man who had been healed was standing right there among them. There was nothing the council could say, so they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Now look at this. They want to keep, they called it propaganda. They want to keep the news of the miracle from spreading. They want to keep the name of Jesus. You know, sometimes people don't mind a miracle as long as Jesus' name is not associated with it. Sometimes people don't mind a good deed as long as Jesus' name is not associated with it. And we're living in a time and we're living in an age where that is becoming more and more of an issue and more of a problem in our day and in our society where there, is, there have been attempts to take away the First Amendment rights of Christians to speak publicly and openly. One Democratic presidential candidate this week said that she respects the right of Christians to hold their views privately, but the right of Christians do not belong in the marketplace of ideas. Chris Matthews on MSNBC says, if you are a Christian and you put God first, you have no business being in politics. Who does Chris Matthews think he is? And who do these folks think that they are to be able to stand up and say these kinds of things? This is America. This is not a message about America, but there are First Amendment rights we have. But understand this. You can make all the laws you want to. China found out you cannot stop the gospel of Jesus Christ from spreading. Amen. Cannot stop it. So we never fear those things. So what should we do with these men? So they called them back in. They commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. How many of that's your testimony tonight? I just can't stop talking about Jesus. The council then threatened them further, but finally they let them go. But they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Of course, we know that not everyone was praising God. There was a Sanhedrin that was not praising God. There were high priests that were not praising God because they wanted to shut down the message about Jesus. As I read this passage, there's something that really took hold of me. And before we pray, and I want to read you one more verse, but put this fill in. 
Faith in the Lord Jesus will give us a bold enthusiasm. Faith in the Lord Jesus will give us a bold enthusiasm. You can live full of God. You can live not only full of God, but God will live fully in you. There's more to this life than what we've experienced. So after they were threatened, they went back. There was this powerful prayer that they prayed. Lord, consider their threats. Lord Jesus, hear what they've said. Grant your servants boldness. Stretch forth your hands with signs. They prayed a powerful prayer. And then the Bible says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, they'd all been filled with the Holy Spirit. They'd all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But the meeting place shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the Word of God with boldness. Would you stand with me tonight? I um, was praying this afternoon. I said, Lord, have your way tonight. If you want to shake this place, shake this place. But I'm not so much interested in this building being shaken. But I'm asking God to shake loose everything in us that would make us timid, that would make us ashamed, shake loose of everything in us that would hinder us from being bold expressors of the love of God. Can you say amen? Heavenly Father, tonight in the name of Jesus, as we continue to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that there can be these fresh surges of the Holy Spirit in our lives and I believe that that's a word for us tonight that you'd like to give to everyone who just opens their hearts up to you and says, Lord, fill me, fill me again. A fresh surge and fresh jolt of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives tonight. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Well, I think first of all, we have to ask the Lord daily for a fresh surge of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Each day, I ask the Lord, God, fill me again. Fill me fresh. Fill me anew. We had electric fences on the farm, and sometimes you could see people bump into those fences, and they would get a surge of electricity we were not expecting, and they would jump back. I've sometimes seen a cow or a horse bump into one of those fences and, and jump back. There's this jolt of electricity. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and um, he's not a builder, he's not an electrician, but he decided that he could um, rewire something in his house. And he said, you know, he says, it's a miracle. He said, I forgot to go turn off the electricity. And he was, his wife was standing there. He was literally knocked off an aluminum ladder and hit the floor unconscious, but he survived and he lived. That's a miracle right there. That's a surge. That's a jolt of, the, of electricity. But you know, there are those surges and those jolts that can come into our lives through Christ as well that won't destroy us and won't hurt us. Now, it might destroy some fleshliness in our lives. It might destroy some things in our lives that need to be cleared out of our lives personally. But it only happens when we are in this process of daily saying, Lord, I need you. There's a real danger that comes along the older you get in Christ, the more mature you get in Christ, is as your knowledge increases and as you become wiser in Christ, there's somehow this temptation to think, I don't need him as much today as I did yesterday. Friends, I'll just be frank with you. I need him more today than I did yesterday. I didn't know what Monday morning held for me, and I asked early Monday morning for that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, and God 
was there and God was present. And you need that, that up-to-date experience for each day. And it's not something mystical. I didn't have anything weird happen. I didn't have any weird feelings. I just know that each and every day I come to him praying, God, fill me fresh. And when I do that, I anticipate a transformed life because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I anticipate continually growing. I anticipate, anticipate continually gaining new wisdom and gaining new insight. And I anticipate through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that when I meet with people, that the Holy Spirit will give me the right words, direct me to the right passages of Scripture, direct me as how I should pray with them. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 8 that God has showered his kindness along on us along with all wisdom and understanding. In 1 Corinthians, there are two gifts of the Spirit that are talked about, words of wisdom and words of knowledge. And I really believe in those two gifts. I find myself a lot of times saying, Lord, I need a word of knowledge right here. And I don't go to somebody and say, Barbara, God has given me a word of knowledge for you. I just don't do that. Because if I miss it, I'd rather Barbara and I go, well, you know, uh, God just failed me here. Uh, you know, I'd rather say Pastor Clanton failed me. You know, sometimes I'll go, Lord, I don't know how to deal with this situation. I need a word of wisdom here. Knowledge is the ability to apply the wisdom that you have. And I need wisdom to understand. And there have been so many times in praying with people because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and just that moment of waiting upon God when I sense the Holy Spirit direct me as how to pray, drop a word into my heart of how to share with them, how to minister to them. And I have never over the years gone, God told me to tell you. Friends, when somebody tells you, God told me to tell you, they're usually trying to power up on you. If they will just give you the word, then you will know whether it's of God or not, okay? If you are walking in the Spirit and you're walking with the Lord. And so I can just give you a couple examples tonight that I put here that I thought that I would share with you. I was praying with a friend of mine, and um, he was depressed. There were some issues going on. I just mentioned to you about depression, and, and I talked with him. He's a pastor, and, and I said, you know, you know you don't have to live this way. Now, that's just me talking. You know you don't have to live this way. He says, I can't help it. He says, D, I've been trying to shake it. I just can't get rid of it. He says, I... He says, I've been praying, I've been fasting, and so we just begin to pray together. We spend some time praying together, and, and I asked him, I said, is it all right if I lay my hand on your chest and pray for you? And while, when I laid my hand upon his chest, just deep inside, it's not an audible voice, but it's a sense, pray for healing of his heart. And so I prayed for him that God would touch him and heal his heart and that God would make him well. And he began to weep and he began to cry. And he says, I've been having some real heart issues. I don't know what's going on. He went to the doctor. He had had a mild heart attack. It's always mild if it happens to the other person, you know, not to you. But he'd had a heart attack. And through medication and changing his diet and eating right, Robert is still serving the Lord and he's full of joy in the Holy Spirit tonight. That's kind of how that thing works. That's how, the, I shouldn't say thing, that's kind of how the Holy Spirit works when he gives you these words of knowledge and you know how to pray. And you go, well, why would God give you that for Robert? Well, this next verse, I think, explains it. We know how dearly God loves us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. 
When we have these surges of the Holy Spirit, we become lovers and not fighters. We become people who don't want to live antagonistically to one another, but we become people who want to express boldly love and encouragement to each other. But there's also something else that happens in this transformation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We suddenly begin to realize we're not paupers. We suddenly begin to realize that we're not ragamuffins and we're not orphans. We're not the cast off and rejects of this world. The world may look at you like that, but that's not who you are in Christ. For when you receive the Holy Spirit, look at this. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Look at this. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. God bless you. So would you just underline that last sentence there? His spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You're not a second-class citizen. You're not, a, you're not an orphan. Now, this verse to me is an important balance to understanding the fear of the Lord. And I've taught on this before on Sunday mornings to help non-believers kind of get this passage. The word fear really does mean fear. If Jesus appeared in this place tonight, we would be like John on the island of Patmos. Remember when we studied that during the book of Revelation? We would fall flat of our faces in fear and reverence before the Lord. He is that awesome. But like John, we would be lifted up and we would be encouraged. We know that our God is an awesome God. Toothpaste is not awesome. A car is not awesome. A song is not awesome. Only God is awesome. Okay? Only God is awesome. That word belongs to God. Only God is awesome. But he lifts us up. And because we are his children, we know we don't have to be afraid of God. We can call him Abba, our daddy, Father God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? To me, that, that's transforming. Well, this affects my relationships. This means that I can walk in a pure relationship and a godly relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It means I can walk in a, a special relationship with my wife and with my children. It means that when I pray for my children, I can anticipate the Lord giving me what I need to, to be a good husband and a good dad, or if you're a mom tonight, to be a, a good mother, a good wife, or if you're a son or daughter, to be a good son or daughter. The Holy Spirit just invests in us He's joined to our spirit this sense that we're able to minister to one another. Now, this is just, just popped in my head. So this may be squirrel. So if it is, just forgive me. But if I, whenever somebody comes to work with us on staff or if they come on a volunteer, I always warn them about something. God has given me the ability, I focus. I can get very focused. I'm not easily distracted when I'm focused. And I may walk right past you and not even see you. Is that true, Mark? I won't even see you. It's not that I'm ignoring you. I just don't see you because I've got something on my mind. Well, tonight I had the offering on my mind and you were laughing, so that tells me that Mark must have already called me up here ahead of time, you know, so everybody giggling. I was oblivious because of this focus, but the point that I'm making is there are times, no matter what your weaknesses or your strengths are, the Holy Spirit will help you to become aware of people's needs that you wouldn't ordinarily be aware 
of. And you have to recognize that as the Lord. Let me give you another illustration of that. I was out to lunch one day with a man from our church. And um, we're having lunch. And I mean, it's a delicious lunch. And we're talking, we're laughing. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, ask him about this. I just, when I say the Lord says, it was an audible voice. It just, I could ask him about this. And I was like, no. That's me, you know, that's the tartar sauce on this fish talking to me. The horseradish is too much. And, but that, that, it just grew stronger and strong. And I had no clue what it was about. So finally, I just knew I was, I, you learn to recognize these, these surges of the Holy Spirit. And so when I asked him, he literally laid down his fork. And suddenly the joy turned to tears. And we had a time of ministry right there at the table because his laughter was masking his hurt and his pain. God will transform your relationships where they're not surface, but you can begin to get deeper and deeper in your relationships. And isn't that what we want in all of our relationships? Isn't that why we do small groups at Woodland? Isn't that why we teach on marriage and family every year at Woodland and have a marriage retreat at Woodland? Isn't that why we talk about the importance of body life at Woodland? It's because God not only wants to transform me, he wants to transform our relationships with one another. And I think we ought to give him one more hand of praise for that tonight as well. Well, I'm running out of time and I've got a lot to cover here. So let me just say God will transform your ministry. Uh, you will be able to minister in the spirit. You'll, you, you know, it's, it's not a, when we say minister in the spirit, that's not a weird thing. And I get embarrassed sometimes when I see some of the things on television that I see that are so dramatic in the organ playing and long offerings being taken. But you literally, you're living, that's enthusiasm. You're li I love to minister. I love to serve. You love to minister. You love to serve. And when you, you go forth in the name of Jesus, people... They sense something different about your ministry. It's not entertainment. It's not somehow or another that uh, we're trying to water down the gospel, but we minister in the love and the spirit of Jesus Christ. He transforms our worship, transforms the way we worship God. Now, I, I, sometimes when I'm talking to men and they say, you know, Pastor, I, there are memories of things that I did before I became a Christian, and they come back, and they just really bother me sometime. Or, Pastor, I can be on my computer, and suddenly I'll, there'll be some pornographic image that comes up. Maybe it's not even pornographic. It's just a, it's a sensual image that comes up. Or I'm driving down the highway, and there's these billboards. Pastor, how do I deal with that? And if you've ever come and talked to me about that, and then you know what I tell you. I said, you know, don't go, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Don't go, I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to think that way. Because what you're doing is you're repressing those kinds of thoughts only for them to surface later with a vengeance. But instead, every time you're confronted, just start worshiping the Lord. Just start praising the Lord. You know, every time you're confronted with a memory that's painful, if you're in your car, put one hand up in the air and just start worshiping the Lord Jesus. You know, start singing one of the songs that we sing at church. And just keep driving around 
or if you're at your computer, just back up and just lift both hands to the Lord and say, wherever I am, I'll praise you. Whatever I can, I'll praise you. For the love of Jesus has set me free. I'll lift up the name of Jesus for the name of Jesus has rescued me. And you begin to sing. And after a while, when those things confront you, they've lost their power. Repression doesn't work, but praise and worship works. The Bible tells us that by that, we break the powers of princes and nobles. And I'll give you another example. When you start doing that, the devil will leave you alone because the last thing he wants is for the name of Jesus to be magnified. He'd rather you feel bad about yourself than to feel good about Jesus. And when you feel good about Jesus, you'll start feeling better about yourself. So the emphasis is not upon you and me. The emphasis is always, let's glorify the name of the Lord. And that transforms our mind as well. You see, when, and let me talk about this mind for just a minute. Because when you have these surges of the Holy Spirit in your life, now, you've got to listen carefully to what I'm going to say right here. Because I believe that when you've been born again, God sharpens your intellect. I believe that when you've been born again, God increases your ability to be able to learn. We've all read the stats that the average person only uses about 10% of his brain power. I've always prayed, Lord, unlock the rest of that. You gave it to me. Obviously, you want me to use it. Would you agree with that? And would you let me agree that I think you ought to use yours too, okay? Our brain is not our enemy. Our mind is not. A transformed mind is a gift from God. And let me just give you a couple of verses. Number one, John chapter 14 and verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Man, that's a powerful verse of Scripture. It doesn't matter whether you're a historian or whether you're a scientist or you're an accountant or you're a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a doctor. Tomorrow morning, I'll be praying with someone about 7.30 in the morning, and uh, I'll be praying that God is going to give the doctor what they need. You see, he leads into all truth. If I was a scientist and I'm not, this would be the verse of Scripture I had put up in my office to remind me all the time because scientists are trying to discover truth. If I was an archaeologist, this would be up in my office because archaeologists are trying to discover truth. The Holy Spirit leads into all truth. Amen? Amen. And God knows it all. I got news for you. God knows everything about you. You know what? He knows everything about me. And sometimes the things that we wish we didn't know about ourselves. But here's the good news. God understands. God understands, David said, a word before I even spoke. Have you ever said something? You just, I need to get it back. I need to put it back. God, God understood what was going on in your heart. God understood why you were angry. God understood why you lost your temper. God understood why you were fearful. And see, people don't always understand that, and that's why it's so important that we walk full of the Holy Spirit and in these surges of the Holy Spirit because sometimes people say things and do things, if we're not careful, we'll let them wound our spirit. When the Word of God is a shield, excuse me, our faith is a shield, the Word of God is a sword, we can lift those things up and let God minister to us, and instead of people becoming our enemy, we're able to lead them to Jesus Christ. Okay? That's going to become even more important in these last days, I believe. And then, I believe the Holy Spirit also improves our memory. The Holy Spirit will remind you of everything I have told you. 
everything I've told you. I pray with students a lot when they're taking exams. They'll come to me and I'll say, did you study? No. I said, well, you know, God's not going to bring back to your memory something you didn't study. So asking me to ask you to pass, that would be asking the Holy Spirit to cheat. But if you studied, I can promise you the Holy Spirit will bring it back to your memory. If you've got test anxiety, then tell the teacher you've got test anxiety and they'll do an oral exam for you and you can go in. One of my children had test anxiety. Uh, it took him years to be able to perform on a written test, but they would go in and, and through oral testing, he aced everything. You see? But you, you got to study. I knew he studied. Becky and I both knew he studied. And so we had the, that oral testing done and he aced everything, was getting A's. And eventually he gained the confidence that he needed to, to be able to write and do compositions and write the answers. And now it's no sweat. But you see, God transforms and God leads and we would pray and we would fast together. Now, let me tell you what will hinder the surges of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what will hinder, four manifestations. And to do that, I want to use a story from the Bible tonight. You know that Moses prematurely tried to set the people of Israel free. He's in the backside of the wilderness. And God appears in a burning bush, and Moses goes up to the burning bush. God tells him to take off his shoes. He takes off his shoes. He's standing on holy ground, and God says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And Moses' first question is an excellent question. It's a great question. Who am I, Lord? Who am I, Lord? That's a good question. Who am I? You know, I've asked myself that question so many times. Who am I, Lord? I, I don't deserve even one of the tiniest of your blessings in my life. That's a good place to start. But Moses, instead of going up, started going downhill from there. So let's look at this verse. Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Let me walk you real quickly through the story. Moses, Moses says to the Lord, he says, Lord, you know, I'm not a very good speaker. And I can imagine God goes, oh boy, there's another one of those guys again. You ever gave God an excuse why he can't use you? Come on, be honest. Yeah, you, all, you know, people come, I have people tell me, well, God can't use me for this. And I go, oh, I didn't know you were bigger than God. They go, oh, well, that's not what I mean, pastor. I said, well, no, if this is what the Lord is leading you. The, the next thing God tells him, he says, you know, I'm going to use you, you know, don't, don't worry about it. And he goes, oh, God, they're never going to believe me. <laughs> okay, they're never going to believe me. I mean, who knows more, you or God? Yeah, God does. And so then Moses finally says, Lord, just send somebody else. And it's almost like, and the Living Bible really kind of brings this out. God gets angry with him, you know, and it's like, shut up, Moses, and do what I told you to do. That's so the only time I've ever seen God do to somebody what he did, what I've done to my children sometimes. Just shut up and do what I told you to. No more questions. You ever done that to your kids? Yeah. We all have to do that because it's that human nature. There are four things I want you to see here that will block God's surges in the Spirit. Number one is negativism. Negativism. People often just are more negative than they are filled with faith. They look for the problems. 
I can't tell you how many boards and committees and projects I've worked on over the years. I am so thankful that I haven't had to deal with that in a long time. But people, whenever, it doesn't matter if you put a project out, they're going to pick it apart and try to find a problem with it. And some of them are so reliable, you can sit there and go, one, two, three, I see a problem here. You know? And it, that's just the way they do life. Now, if there is a problem, you want to know about it. But there are some people... They are negative because they want to hold everybody back. They want to hold everything back because they like things the way they are. And Moses was just being very, very negative. He's saying, God, who am I? Which is a very humble question. But then he's going, God, I can't speak. Lord, send somebody else. They're not going to believe me. We need to stop believing our doubts and start believing our faith. Okay? We need to look at the promises of God and go, they're more trustworthy than my negative thoughts. My, my faith, the word of the Lord, is so much stronger than my negative. That's the reason I say to poor people, you can't afford to give. I prayed it tonight. If we give the way God told us to, it will not hurt any of us. Instead, we will be blessed to where we can do even more. I've seen it work over and over in people's lives. The second thing that will hold us back is criticism. Second, we just become very critical. I mean, now God wants to help Moses out here, and I wish I had a big stick. God wants, just imagine this is a big stick right here. God says, Moses, what have you got in your hand? He goes, oh, I've got a rod. He's shepherd staff. He throws it down on the ground, it becomes a snake. I don't want to throw that because I don't want to break it. But it becomes a snake, and then Moses picks it back up. Well, you go, I'm telling you what, if, number one, if God told me to throw down a, a stick, it better be something other than a snake, okay? But he picks that snake up, it turns back into a staff. Now, if I'd have been Moses, I'd go, victory, oh, victory is mine. I'd <laughs> come home, victory. I mean, it's Miracleville now, right? It's miracle time. I mean, I, I, if, if, if God ever told me to throw down a stick and it became something else and started trying to get away from me and I picked it back up, I'd go, wow. I mean, well, that's what you, if you grew up in the 60s and 70s, you always go, wow. He goes to, to Moses. I mean, he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh sees the miracles and he just gets more and more critical of Moses. And so rather than the miracles doing what they could have done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, Pharaoh just gets more and more critical. Second thing is skepticism. Our third thing is skepticism. You see, skepticism, skepticism is a good tool for a scientist. It's a good tool for a scientist, I think. Because you do a test and you do it over and over and over and over again to see if you get the same results. And then, I like the fact that scientists, even though they keep getting the same results, they still call it a theory. Because something else may come up along the way that challenges their assumptions they've just made that this is a fact now. So, that's, that's kind of the scientist. Because they know there's possibly more to learn. That's good in science, but that's not good in faith. That's not good in obedience. That's not good for children and their parents. That's not good in a marriage. That's skepticism. We're always questioning. We're always challenging. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 that some people are always learning, but they're never doing anything with what they learned. 
They're always increasing knowledge, but they never learn. James says, show me that you've got faith by the works that you're doing. Skeptics typically try to become watchdogs. They want to be sure everything is done the way it ought to be done, rather than getting in there and doing something themselves. And you find those people at township hall meetings, at city hall meetings. You find them in politics. They're always critical. They can't make it in politics, so they get a gig on MSNBC or Fox News criticizing everybody else for trying to do something. Okay? You find them in churches. You find them in marriages. The people who are always skeptical and always critical. Sometimes you just got to take God at his word. Well, let me rephrase that. I just said something theologically incorrect. We always take God at his word. Amen? And then finally, cynicism. After they're delivered, I mean, ten, it takes 10 miracles. After they're delivered, then there's two men, Korah and Dathan. Anybody ever watched the Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments? Remember Edward G. Robinson playing Dathan? Yeah. Well, because of his cynicism, eventually, he, he just... Rather than trust Moses, I mean, Moses is the one that's been to the wilderness. Moses is the one that has met with God. Moses is the one that confronts Pharaoh. Moses is the one that whenever uh, God begins to work their deliverance, Moses is the one that took all the criticism. The, he goes in and does a miracle. Pharaoh's sorcerers cannot replicate that miracle. And he says, let, you know, he said, let my people go so they worship me. And so Pharaoh says, if your people have got time to worship you, worship God, then I'm going to increase their workload. So rather than go, oh, wow, we're going to get set free. God is going to do something in our lives. We're going to be able to go worship God. We're going to be delivered from this. They start criticizing Moses. Moses is the one that's dealt with. Dathan didn't deal with that. Korah didn't deal with that. And time after time, Moses is dealing with all that stuff. And there's another word I'd like to say right there, but I won't. He's dealing with all of that stuff, and they're finally set free and delivered. And Dathan says, this is all about Moses. Moses is trying to become a king. Moses is in this just for himself. Moses has put it all on the line. And eventually, Dathan and Korah, they lead the sons of Korah into rebellion, and the earth swallows them up. Understand this. We need the surges of the Holy Spirit for living in victory. But if we're not careful, we'll bring judgment down upon our whole families because of our criticism, our skepticism, our cynicism, our just our unwillingness to cooperate with God. So let me give you some growth work and we'll move ahead tonight. Mark, if you'll come on up. In 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to use the message tonight. I've written to warn you about those who are trying to deceive you, but they're no match for what's embedded deeply within you, Christ's anointing, no less. You don't need any of their so-called teaching. I'm really concerned right now. I've never been an America First preacher, and I won't become an America First preacher. I preach the gospel. But right now, there are so many people trying to deceive the body of Christ. Trying to cause us to lose confidence in the word of the Lord. Trying to depend upon methods more than they depend upon the Holy Spirit. Nothing wrong with methods. We need good methods. But 
friends, more than anything, we need a fresh surge of the Holy Spirit. Call it revival. Call it renewal. Call it infilling. Call it baptism. I don't care what you call it. But we need the power of God that will knock the devil off the ladder. We need the power of God that will burst the dams and clear out the trees, the ball fields. We need the power of God that one more time where Jesus is truly first in our lives. We don't need to be deceived by the cunning, the chicanery, and the false teaching of this world, even if they come from so-called Christians. Christ's anointing teaches you the truth on everything you need to know about yourself and Him, uncontaminated by a single lie. Now, he's not saying you don't need a teacher. He's saying that Christ's anointing will help you know yourself. I know you know who said this. Know yourself and to your own self be true. Who said that? Shakespeare. You can say it confidently. Shakespeare. You can't know yourself without God. Now I want you to look right here. You need to understand that. You cannot know yourself without God. You don't understand some of the things that you've done. You may, tonight, not even understand some of the things that are going on in your life right now, but God understands. And the one thing He wants you to know is that you are His beloved. You call Him Abba Father. More than anything, the Holy Spirit, as we just read from the Word, His Spirit has joined your spirit to Him. And you'll know something else? He's joined our spirits together to make us one in Christ. Look at the rest of this verse. So live deeply in what you were taught. What does that mean, live deeply? Think about it. Reflect upon it. Apply it. I want people to walk out of Woodland Church not only hearing the Word, but knowing how to apply the Word. Because you won't know that it will work until first you apply it. You can say, I believe it all day long, and you can memorize it, but you've got to live deep in it by applying it. Do you know the Holy Spirit will help you to be a witness? You can share Jesus. Do you know you can anticipate when you're praying with people? You don't have to go. I don't do it. And I don't trust people who come up to me saying, God told me to tell you this. I don't trust that. My spiritual antenna go right up. But when you pray with somebody, don't be in such a rush to go, oh Jesus, would you bless tonight Beth or would you bless Bob? Just stop for a moment and say, Lord, inside, how should I pray? That's what relationships are all about. How should I pray? And let the Lord work inside of your heart. And that word of knowledge, that word of wisdom, will begin to bubble up in your spirit Vic, you recently bought me a letter and asked me to read the letter. I believe the Lord gave you a word of knowledge for how to write your friends. They wrote you back. Vic gave me permission to share this. They wrote you back because you were concerned. Would they receive it? But God used you, Vic. God wants to use you in ways that you've never been used before. Jonathan Edwards said, I had the greatest delight in the Holy Scriptures. Every word touched my heart 
and almost every sentence seemed to be full of wonders. Isn't that powerful? He's writing about his experience in the Holy Spirit. I want you to stand with me. Bring your notes with you and come to the altar tonight. And I want to pray through these four growth work items with you. We'll be here just a few minutes. But I think a message like this, we need to just come to the altar and kneel before the Lord if you can. If not, just have a seat. Would you want us down here in front? There's a song, Mark, I don't even know if you know it, but it just kind of goes, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Break me, mold me, use me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need a surge, Lord, of the work of God in our lives. Sometimes, Jesus, we're like buckets that leak. But tonight, I anticipate an answer to prayer. I need the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled to the brim. Lord, I want to be saturated with the Holy Spirit. I want Woodland to be saturated with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Jesus. While you're praying right now, would you just examine your personal agenda? Are you open and willing to whatever God would say to you? Are there struggles going on in your life right now that you haven't been able to figure out? Struggles that have cause you great consternation, discombobulation. Why don't you just yield that to Him right now and say, Lord, I, I don't know what to do, but I submit my agenda to You. Sometimes we make our plans and God moves differently. each and every day I pray that you would order our footsteps I pray that each and every day Lord that each of us would turn to you and say Lord I want to love you more today than I did yesterday I want to serve you better today than I did yesterday and I ask you to order my footsteps if the agenda I have made is is different from the one that you have for me, Lord. Not my will, but thine be done. And as much as possible, help me to live in peace with each and every one. And then before we go to our beds tonight, Lord, oh, I pray that our dreams and meditations will be pleasing unto you. Our faith will be great. <laughs> wake up in the morning we'll be refreshed because we spent time with the Lord before we shut our eyes in peaceful sleep now ask yourself what distracts you from living a spiritual life is it cynicism is it negativism 
criticism? Do you find yourself just naturally being critical of other people? Or is it skepticism? Think through the story of Moses and his call to deliver Israel from Egypt in the book of Exodus. It's good to say, who am I? But then get your attention off yourself and get it on God. Back away from the computer, lift one hand in the car while you're driving. While you're doing the dishes, bust those dishes out and just sing and praise the Lord. Whenever a challenge comes your way, just say, I will set my heart, my mind, my mouth to bless, bless, bless the Lord. And then remove all distractions.
Spirit will come in like a flood and blast out every crevice and every corner of your life and cleanse and sanctify you. message on the Holy Spirit and we'll be done with this series tonight. God bless you.